0: Hello and welcome to another Wednesday Conversation. I'm Mike Kresnik and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorum Deo Church. Every Wednesday we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And today we're having a conversation about building deep community.
1: Man, you guys going to quote Dreher again? Is that what this is about? That was so last month. Possibly.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're still vamping on uh, themes brought up by Dreher's book, The Benedict Option. Um, though not everything we're saying is something he necessarily prescribes, but we just think uh, there's there's sort of fruitful things for us to reflect on here. And so we talked in a past co- podcast about building a dense family culture. I want to talk about what it means to build deep community. And I think, by the way, community is a is a buzzword in our society. Everybody Everybody's about community. Everybody's in a one. Right. Um, but they're not all dense, formative community. And so... I want to ask the question, what's distinctively Christian about the nature of our friendships? How should a distinctly Christian, God-honoring, discipleship-oriented friendship look different? Because I wonder if um, a lot of the things we call Christian community is really just anybody could have it. It's just that we believe the same things, but our friendships aren't deeper or more sustaining or more formative Um, than any other type of friendship. And so I guess what I want to suggest is, at one level, a Christian friendship should just be like any other friendship. And at another level, it should be deeper and more substantial because there's a soul level um, connectedness and a a unity of purpose in terms of discipleship that we have. And so we didn't just want to talk about building a dense family culture that's important for moms and dads, but also about how do we build the kind of friendships How do we cultivate the kind of community that's rich, life-giving, and deeply formative to our souls? Rod Dreher points to a few things. He he points to like, um, think about when you were in college and there were like intentional houses of guys or girls who were all Christians and sort of like had- Proximity. Yeah, it was sort of like, a we're all going to live together in this house. Um, There's a number of these where I went to college and it was sort of like a- Now we're all going to live together, six or eight or 10 guys in a house. And there's some sort of commitment of like eating meals together and studying the Bible together and meaningful accountability. It's that kind of thing. So that's, there's something like uniquely college about that. You know, I think I I can't do that now. Um, But that's the kind of thing that we're interested in is what would it mean for us to pursue the kinds of community that overlap our lives in bigger ways than just we see each other in the hall on Sundays or we're in a gospel community together, as good as that might be. And so I want to sort of open up people's imagination here that if Dreher is right in some of the things he's seeing and prescribing, here's some provocative things he pointed to. He talked about um, Catholic communities and even Mormon communities Mm -hmm. where people sort of like try to move into the same zip code together Mm -hmm. and and where there's like geographical connectedness. Um, He also points to Jewish... Uh, communities uh-huh. that are like this, Which where there's a sense our of like, city. yeah, there's a sense of like shared geography. And I just think um, that's something I've longed for in our church that I haven't seen a whole lot of people embrace in a deep way is just, man, what would it mean to try to like live near each other? Mm. And again, not everybody can live in the same neighborhoods. And I, and I know there's all kinds of considerations about what can we afford and where do our kids go to school and where do I work? And right. There's lots of that. But what I see in American friendships is that our lives become so fragmented because I work over here and my kids are in sports over here and my daughter does gymnastics over here and we go to church over here. And so like my whole life is commuting Yeah, and it really uproots a sense of like deep connectedness. Whereas if I think about the town that my grandfather lives in, a town of 600 people where you can walk everywhere, there's just a sense of rootedness that that brings with it and a sense of like, well, just that's that's Joe. He's lived across the mm-hmm. street for two decades, Maybe you know, not I'm gonna, going anywhere. If I need someone to <laughs> pick up my mail, he's picking it up for me, you know? And there's this, so I wonder if there's a way for us to think about how dense and how deep are our friendships and how do we move toward, again, not in an idealistic sort of way that says, oh, my friendships all suck because I listen to this podcast, but <laughs> but in a way that says like, what what sort of ideal <laughs> should we be striving for as we think about Christian community, Christian friendships, um, gospel communities at some level? Mm.
1: And deeper community l- goes beyond just we're, we have the same interests. Yes. Right. Like
2: we socially get along. Yes. So what's interesting? Dreher obviously is using monks and monastic communities as a teaching tool. And he's calling it the Benedict option. And so he's saying, "Hey, monks, make an intentional commitment to live in." The, but one of the, one of the things he mentions is this vow of stability, oh, which he yeah. basically he basically says. <laughs> Benedictine monks. My going Benedictine monks make a commitment, a choice, to commit to living in the same monastery for their whole lives, and basically say, unless the abbot tells me to go somewhere else, this is where I'm going to be. And and he just talks about he interviews all these monks and basically says, why did you why, why did you make that commitment? And they basically say, well, it's just a, a valve stability, like it. That's just mm-hmm. what our lifestyle is, and it's interesting how that shapes then your paradigm. And so I th- I think about how Man. so many of our friendships are convenience driven, right? It's like I'm friends with this person because we live in the same neighborhood or because we went to school together or because our kids know each other. But what would it look like to to plow the kind of deep commitment to place mm-hmm. and to sort of stability that says, "Man, I want to I want to really put down roots in this neighborhood or I really want to like Man. be here for a long time in this city." Or I want to think about what would it means to sort of like just be present in a way that um has a strength to it that's bigger than just, oh, I found another house I like better, or I got a different mm-hmm. job, or you know there was other things yeah. pulling me elsewhere. I think it
0: taps on this idea like a lack of commitment. Like, we live in this uh, yes, no, maybe culture, or we're, we're really willing to hit the maybe button on an event, but we're, <laughs> we're not really excited about saying yes. or we're not really excited about saying no. So I'll just, yeah, I don't want to hurt your feelings by right. saying no, but I want to, I don't want to commit myself either. I don't really want to go. So, so I, I think <laughs> it touches say. on this lack of commitment. Uh, I don't know if it's an idea or, or what's going on there, but I'm, I'm not really committed to the city I live in. I could go anywhere. I'm not really committed to the job. I'm not really committed to my church. I could be a member here and decide to go to a church down the street because I want to. And so there's just a lack of commitment that I feel like Draher's uh, stability piece really touches on and really causes us to think, I mean, what am I committed to if I'm committed to anything? And when am I making choices based on the fact that I don't really want to
1: be committed? Mm -hmm. Non-committal tendencies. Yeah. Which is just individualism, right? It's another way of saying, "I'm going to keep my options open. If at any point you offend me, or I, or I just desire to go elsewhere, I will."
0: And if if that's how
1: we're
2: approaching our friendships, that's can be re- that can be really damaging. But we do, yeah, we're, we do already. We do this already, right? Right. So this is where I'm. I guess where I'm going is to say, if you're asking the how of building deep community, mm-hmm. there seems to be some component of commitment involved in that. Some, yep. some mm-hmm. choice of just like, man, I'm in here. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Come hell or high water. Decided to stand. Here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's challenging because the the variables there are so different for people, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, people have unique situations and circumstances. And so you can't be prescriptive here, but I just, I sort of want to provoke listeners to ask, what would it look like to have a commitment to a set of people yep. who mm-hmm. I said, man, I'm wa- I'm walking with Jesus alongside these people for the long haul or for as long as the Lord lets us. hmm um and that's just gonna be our commitment. That's one of
0: the biggest struggles I have because it'd be so nice to live out in the country and live on a couple acres of land, yeah, preach that and just like <laughs> not do, have to talk to anybody. Let's let's build a commune. Let's do an intentional community yeah. in this country. Yeah. yeah. But right now where we're at in our life, like we've committed to this this house that we just moved in a year ago, and we could potentially be there for 15, 20 years. I'm okay with that because we're putting down our roots and we're saying, Uh hey, this is going to be our home as long as our kids are living at home and we're going to make the best of it,
2: whatever that means. Mm -hmm. you know. So this is, not everybody is wired to think this way, but I want to suggest this, Mike, because I think there's a few dozen of our listeners that are wired this way, that for people that God gives you a sense of place like that, that you should look at part of your mission as inviting other Christians to live around you. Hmm. Uh-huh. Right. Like if we're going to, uh-huh. if we're going to say, how do we beat counterculture and really build community? What if Mike in the next five years, five different families from Coram uh-huh. lived yeah. within a quarter mile of your uh-huh. house. And in a sense, you're saying, Hey, this doesn't mean we're taking over the neighborhood. It doesn't mean like we're playing a church here. It just means like, Man, we're going uh, to be Christians in this neighborhood together. We're going to yeah. help one another, serve one another, support one another. Maybe it looks like we start a gospel community that's neighborhood driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the idea is we're, we're kind of all committing to this place together. And, and we're going to try to, you know, again, I'm not mandating this for you, Mike, but I'm just saying if a few... That's pe- how I'm hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you should do this. If a few people started doing that and, and you know, said, hey, yeah. man, move into my neighborhood. Like, if you're looking for a yeah. house, move here. Um, like, well, I don't really like the houses in your neighborhood. Which is fine. Like, I don't... You know, like, again, there's, there's you know, some preference involved we think about it. Right. But our grandparents weren't free to think that way, you know? So right. it's just like, if we changed our calculus of what matters when we make mm-hmm. these decisions, how much does friendship, community, Christians living on our block mm. matter, um... What what difference would it make to our ability to have a really formative friendships and relationships uh-huh. and B, um common cause together in the work of mission? Bob, when you said, Oh, that's how our
0: that's how our grandparents, you know, did it, like there's there's value to how people did it a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, and Draher talks about that as he talks about like here here's why we are here according mm-hmm. to world history. There were things that people people were doing in the medieval times that could still work today yeah. if we tapped into that and that's kind of his whole call here with the benedict option and so i think it's i think it's super valuable for christians to think of okay maybe the way the world thinks about things isn't the best way mm-hmm. and what is what does church history what does world history teach us in that matter
2: so we've sort of gotten geographical a little bit um, and maybe i want to pull us back in a different direction cuz i think at some level I also want people thinking about what does it mean to be committed to a friendship, Mm -hmm. yeah, Um, and uh, that's scary because friendship requires vulnerability, which none of us like. But I'm just wondering, like, um, you know, God's gifted us with really rich friendships in our church in general, and I just wonder, like, do the people around you know that they're friends, and and. And to what extent, like, does every Christian listening to this podcast have three or four people in their life that they're like, man, this is my posse. These are my people who help me walk with Jesus, who know my sins and struggles, who can call me out on anything and who are for me and, like, in this with me. Um, I just wonder how much we live actually in isolation, but with a veneer of community because mm-hmm. we're surrounded by people, you mm-hmm. know, and... um, If we start asking, how do we cultivate really deep friendships that that aren't isolating, but that we can call others into, you know, that like this friendship has a sense of synergy to it, has a sense of momentum to it. I want other people to sort of experience some of the beauty of it.
1: Yeah. And it's not going anywhere. Yeah. So there's a sense of settledness in that entire relationship. So come hell or high water, when when that person is, (laughs) you know, down and out. They don't have to worry about the friendship. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is I, I think people just need to be more declarative yeah. in I their relationships. Say yeah. uh, like define the relationship? Well, a little bit, but just <laughs> just be okay with calling that person a friend. I think this is, it gets really weird in middle age. Mm. Uh, I, think, I think people, you know, in high school are friends and they're in and out of friendships all the time because they're trying to figure out who they are. But uh, it's it, in your 30s, it's weird to be like, hey, friend, you know, <laughs> or, to be just, friends. or to just call it a friendship. Um, and, and so I think there's something to be more declarative uh, in your in your relationships that are close. Call those friendships because that's probably what they are, um, even if they have some sticky points yeah. to them on whatever it be, politics, uh, preference. Uh, you can have deep friendships, even with people that they're not going to be exactly like you, which actually makes it a good friendship.
2: What Rod Rehrer is saying in the Benedict Option is that um, Christianity is not going to survive without those sorts of dense friendships, and that that's actually what f- fruitful mission is going to look like, right? When when people say, man, I'm lonely in life, I don't have deep relationships, and these Christians around me seem like there's like deep commitment and a way of life mm-hmm. here that's intriguing to me, um, that's part of what I think compels people to the gospel is the kind of community that's possible in the gospel, and sometimes not realized, but when it is realized, man, it's powerful. Mm -hmm.
0: Guys, I just read this article uh, back on March 9th from the Boston Globe. Uh, This reporter uh, quotes a study, um, Dr. Richard Swartz. He wrote a book called The Lonely American Drifting Apart in the 21st Century. His study showed that beginning in the 1980s, Study after study started showing that those who were more socially isolated were much more likely to die during a given period than their socially connected neighbors, even after you corrected for age, gender, and lifestyle choices like exercising and eating right. Loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke and the progression of Alzheimer's. One study found that it can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking. So even, even common you know, common grace shows us that we were created for much more than just kind of being on
2: our own. Yeah. It's funny the the effect that loneliness can have. And it's funny how Dusty, going back to what you said a minute ago, sometimes our lack of declarativeness makes us more lonely. Like I just had a conflict in a friendship where I was like, Hey man, I thought you, like, I thought we were friends. And <laughs> the dude was like, well, man i didn't know we were in that category and i was just like oh that's cuz i had you in that category but we didn't talk about it like you didn't have me in the category so i was like in my mind you were just in the category of friend but you know it's like like you said mike we never defined the relationship in a meaningful way and mm-hmm. so like t- you you really do have to there's a there's a declaring there's a moving into relationship that's scary man because it takes some ownership and vulnerability but that I think that that has the potential for creating really formative kinds of mm. Christian relationship. And I think when we go through hard times in life, when we go through difficulties, um, when things get hard, who are the first people we're turning to? Well, yeah. it's our friends. And if we're Christians and followers of Jesus, man, that... Those friends ought to be folks who share our worldview and our convictions and who I know, man, if I died, I'd want them raising my kids. Um, you know, if, if something bad happened, I'd want them showing up in the hospital room, praying for me. Like these are the people that I want to walk through life with. Um, there's probably not going to be dozens and dozens of those people, but there ought to be a few, um, and, and out of the depth of those friendships, then, can come the kind of meaningful connectedness, Mike, that I think, number one, makes me a healthier person, yes. but number two, um, the further I go in life, display something beautiful to the world, right? Because yeah. like you're saying, Dusty, everybody's friends in high school, because friends is sort of a loose category, right? It's more about who am I getting my identity from and who I want to be associated with, and you know, am I dating the right person, or am I seen with the right person, or do I hang with the right people? But in adulthood, that really becomes, man, am I isolated and alone, or am I in a rich context of actual deep relationship? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I think it's
1: really important. Maybe this goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. I think it's really important for those things to be local. Um, I have friends that are outside of Omaha, and I would say those are really good friendships, but I'm not living with those people. So they're only so good. Yeah, right. They're only... They're only as good as I'm giving information and that guy's giving information, but that that's pretty, you know, fragmented. So these have to be local. And this is exactly what, I mean, we've talked about this years ago, sensing Jesus by Zach Eswine. He really has these huge convictions on everything should be local. You should be able to, you know, to walk and to talk (laughs) and to be in relationship right where you're at. And so I think it's really important for those things to be tangible, like in 15 minutes, I have a deep friendship, you know. I'm 15 minutes away from a deep friendship. Not, yeah. not like, well, I got this buddy in California and I got this buddy <laughs> down in Kansas City. All that stuff's true and good. Yeah. And it, it, depending on the kind of, like, in ministry, that's good. You, yeah. Bob, you and I both have friends that are outside of Omaha. Yeah. Which is helpful, depending on the work that you do. But what
0: you're saying is your your cult like you guys have
1: friends out of town, but you cultivate those friendships right. as if they were a local friendship. Yeah, so order. that's yep. the difference too. I yeah, think. that's true too. But I'm even saying like those need to be in the city too. Like yeah. we need to have local friends, local friends that are, <laughs> yeah. they're almost in a deeper way. Um, yep. Or at least striving towards that, working towards that, putting the effort in towards that, declaring
2: that. Um, So let me give you a vision for your gospel community. And again, this is an ideal of a vision, and so not your gospel community won't look like this right now, and and maybe never. But I just wonder, what if we started thinking this way, dreaming this way, praying this way? Um, what if your gospel community were, were primarily people who live near you, people with whom you had a meaningful friendship? And that, in the context of that meaningful community, there's an abundance of generosity that invites others into it. Mm. I think that's the vision of gospel community that that we've sort of always strived for. It rarely does it reach that ideal because it's it, you know that's a that's a vision that requires intentionality, time, commitment, and geography. But I I just think again, vamping on a little bit of the stuff that Rod Dreher's surfacing in the Benedict option. I think for a meaningful missional Christianity in the future, it's going to take more that kind of community, a community that's so distinctive in its relationships mm-hmm. that people say, man, not only do these people do conflict differently and, and you know, believe differently than me, there's a gospel sort of truth here. There's also a quality of life and a shared life that I find compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe what I want to do is just put that ideal before you and ask, man, do you see the friendships in your life trending in that direction? Are there? Are you taking incremental steps toward those kinds of relationships? Um, if not, what would the next step be? What would a step be? Because lots of us are isolated. Lots of us are lonely. Lots of us have lots of acquaintances and Facebook friends, but no real friends. And if we're going to be meaningful disciples of Jesus, there's got to be friendships in our lives that are deep lasting and sort of committed um, and that become a context for mission that don't close in on themselves and say, well, this is my friend and we just like to hang out and we don't want to invite anybody else in. But that says we want out of the overflow of God's grace in our friendship to invite others in to experience the the beauty and the generosity that extends from this. Yeah, Bob, you asked a good
1: question there. What would the next step be? But I'm also thinking, what do I need to confront in myself? Um, you know, because I think, you know, if I if I wanna call the shots here and if I wanna play it safe for five years in community with you, then I'm never gonna settle in, I'm never gonna go deep. So to think about, well, nope, I'm gonna go deep right away, I'm gonna be settled, I'm gonna be committed, well then that changes the whole the whole game, you know? That yeah. changes the whole thing. And if I need it's interesting to start thinking about what Draher says, which is I'm gonna need deep friendships to even make it as a Christian. Well, that really changes my defense mechanisms now too. It changes my fears, it changes my apprehensions, and I'm diving into community in a whole new way, you
2: know, uh, is what he would call us to. Well, I wanna challenge the the single folks who are listening, especially who are part of Chrome Deo. Man, I would just love to see a, a rich move among single people to say, man, how can we create dense communities of sort of shared life? Because I think so many singles are living by themselves, you know they're working mm-hmm. a job. They're they're in a gospel community, which is great, but there's a sense that they're not pursuing with their life the kind of overlap and shared life that I think can really create the context for um, meaningful, deep community at this at that season of life. And so, man, some are, and I'm really proud of the folks that are really pursuing that. But I just think that man, I want a church where there's not just dense family cultures being committed by moms and dads who are committed to their kids and to trying to shape and train their children as disciples, but where there's, man, single folks living together and com- committed to community together and really investing in the kinds of friendships and relationships that, um, that, they, that display the beauty of the gospel. Um, and so I just want to encourage folks and think about that and ask, what is, it, what is God inviting you to do to step toward that?
0: The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in, and we pray that the things that we've talked about might also be helpful to you as you minister in your own context. We invite you to tell us on iTunes how much you love this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Give us five stars and share it with your friends. And we hope that you join us next Wednesday. Real friends. Yeah, your real friends, not your... All your Facebook friends, too. Yeah, actually all your pseudo friends. Yep. (laughs) And we hope that you join us next week for another Wednesday Conversation.